Welcome back to Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie. We're, um, how you doing over there, Mel? I'm doing, hanging in there. Everything cool? Everything cool in the gang? As cool as can be. That's what I like to hear. Last night we, um, we both, we both were, uh, enjoying... Uh, Neil Jones of Without Your Head did a um, online film festival called Severed Limbs Film Festival. Um, we had a couple boombastic films uh, films play up in the cut. Insomniac played there. Um, Harry Carey Canvas played there. Our sh- our short segment Victoria played there, and it was also the premiere of our one of our newest segments, those shorts. Uh, written and directed and starring the one and only Alexander Hockenstein, uh, Acceptance, which uh, went over pretty well. So that was good. Um, it was cool. What did you think of the whole ordeal over there? Um, it was definitely worth hanging out for. There was a lot of great films. Um, there was a couple that like really stood out from the rest. The, the Hitchcock Psycho one was like amazing. That was like one of my favorite ones of the night. Um, mm-hmm. James Lamont's The Box that was really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. The Cloud. Those are like kind of only two I actually remember by name, but they were there was a bunch that were like really, really good. Well, we'll start. Uh, you know, our, our pal Stuart Gordon, uh, born in Chicago. You know, on August 11th, 1947, he became known... Fellow Leo. Fellow Leo. Uh, he was, you know, first got his start kind of in the theater, the live theater, when he was in the University of Wisconsin in the 60s. Um, then he moved back to Chicago, where he formed the Organic Theater Company in the early 80s. Uh, yep, with his wife, Carolyn Party Gordon. Yes, yes. Before moving on to California to pursue the movie-making business. Um, like his friend and fellow filmmaker, Brian Usna, Gordon was a big fan of H.P. Lovecraft, and that goes to show in you know, a lot of his films that he's kind of known for, like Reanimator, From Beyond, Dagon, uh, as well as the Masters of Horror episode, Dreams in the Witch House, you know. He turned to Edgar Allan Poe on two occasions, directing The Pit and the Pendulum. It's a fun movie. And he also did uh, The Black Cat for the second season of Masters of Horror. If I remember correctly, he also directed a stage play of Poe, starring Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator fame. Yep. If I remember correctly. But, uh, yeah. Unfortunately... When, when they did that, they he wasn't a guest at Rock and Shop. They they did Poe close to us. It was it was in Mass, and I want to say it wasn't too far away from Rock and Shock. It was a year Jeffrey Combs was there. Um, Jeffrey Combs used to be at Rock and Shock quite a bit, if I remember. In the earlier years, he was one of those people you'd see quite often. Um, but yeah, I remember a year he was there. It was the same year that we met, because me and Billy were doing the full moon booth. I remember that because um, Dr. Uh, Doctor Awkward or some weird... There's some weird movie he did that Jeffrey Combs did with full moon. It escapes me at this time, but we were hawking that pretty heavy. 
Dr. Uh, man, it's going to bother me that I forget that, but um, we were hawking that at the Full Moon booth, and we, we tried to get him to come by and sign some autographs on it for, for people. Uh, I think he was... I think that was one of those films that he didn't quite get paid off of. So the, the actors usually get... And, and Jeffrey Combs is a really good dude. One of my favorite stories of... Um, earlier stories. I want to say I, I want to say I met him. <laughs> yeah. At the first Scarecon. That's believable. Yeah, I met him. At, I never. The only time I've ever, I really ever, kind of got got down with him was at um, Rocket Shock. But I do think he was at Scarecon. Good guy. Good guy. You know, I had a weird. I had a, there was a, uh, I was getting a, one of the first couple years I was there, I was getting a, um, I was getting a, uh, an autograph by the late Joe Pilato of Day of the Dead fame and, um, Rhodes and, um, he was signing an autograph for me and I, I just got a Jeffrey Combs autograph before that and Jeffrey Combs came up behind me and was talking to Joe and he's like, make sure that you... Let that dry before you put it put it in the in the plastic sleeve. And he looked at Joe and he said, "Because if you smear it, he ain't gonna give you an autograph, you fucker." To Joe, and that always made <laughs> me laugh. I, it's fun to see. See back, like I said before, like the 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 first couple of years of Rock and Shock were when you really when you got the because we're not used to seeing all these celebrities and stuff of the horror world, and when you see them and you're around them and you're communicating with them. It's kind of like Cloud Nine a little bit, you know what I mean? Because you're like, wow, you're really like in awe of the situations. Yeah, it's very surreal. Yeah, so when you have like a weird, and when you get a weird situation that you're kind of included in between two other horror people, I think it's kind of a special moment for certain people like myself. Um, But you want to roll into um, the films? I'm down with that. Was there anything else you wanted to say about the early years of Stuart Gordon? Um, I really wasn't a big follower of his until recently. Yeah. So I don't know too much about his works, but a lot of his films I have seen Uh and didn't even realize it was him (laughs) type of deal. I'm with you. I'm um, going to run through some of his notable writing credits first before we pop into his directorials um you know he he was he came up with the story uh him and ed naha you know facebook buddy we should get him on the show um came out they did the story for honey i shrunk the kids you know i know ed naha i think even brian usner was attached to honey i shrunk the kids i want to say that at one point Stuart gordon was supposed to direct honey i shrunk the kids um yeah uh he was co-creator yeah and he shared a story credit and produced the film sequels and directed an episode of the TV spinoff. Yes. Yeah, the TV, you remember the TV spinoff? Scary. Barely. <laughs> Scary stuff. He was actually a writer on the um, Body Snatchers film done by Abel Ferreira, which if you go, going back and watching that now, it's a lot funner than it was when I first got it on VHS. Um, it was such a weird movie for Abel Ferrer to do, being his other body of work. But um, it was definitely cool to see him attack that that you know franchise. Um, the Dentist. Are you familiar with The Dentist? Yeah, I 
I have that one. With Corbin, I actually own that movie. With Corbin Burnson. Yeah, that yep. was that was one of those fun '90s early two. What is that? That was. Uh, yeah, well, the 96. sequel came out in '98, so I would assume that was probably like 96. early to mid '90s. Yeah. Yeah, '96 was the dentist with Corbin Burnson. That was probably right. That, if I remember correctly, in childhood memory, that movie came out shortly after Tales from the Hood, the original. They, he was on a kind of a kick. Um, I, I remember things like uh, him, some girl's lips being all swollen up, and I remember a shot of him like annihilating somebody's teeth with like a drill, where it was just like grinded them all up. And laughing while he's doing it. Yeah, I put the dentist in the same. That'd be a good double feature with Doctor Giggles. That'd be a fun little. Uh, and they're roughly around the same time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like you said, he he did. He, he also you know characters the dentist too. He did characters on you know, um, and Honey I Shrunk Ourselves. You know, the, the straight the video version. But let's go. Yeah, I blew up the kid. Hell yeah. <laughs> let, let, we'll pop into some of um, some of the directorial efforts, you know. He did, you know, Bleacher Bums was his first directorial effort in 1979. I, uh, I'd be lying if I said I've seen that movie. You know what I mean? Uh, I wouldn't mind watching it. It'd be fun. It was... Um, you know, do you have any any bleacher bums takes place in uh, the bleachers of Chicago's Wrigley Field? The characters are a bunch of Chicago Cubs fans watching a game in progress on summer afternoon. And I know his his theater company premiered that, um, and it had Dennis Franz and um, Joe Montana. Okay, oh, good Joe Montana doing a thing before Thriller and Baby's Day Out. He co-directed with Patterson Denny. Patterson did not come on board for the next film, which I think that his next film, I think, is the film that he is most known for, in my opinion. Um, it's part of the, it's part of a trilogy of terror that I kind of, his his his, I kind of consider to be his, you know, trilogy of his magnum opus, so to speak, of. Um, of uh, his, you know, when, when people do that, they have those three. I try and break filmmakers into their top three movies, and his were done kind of back-to-back. Um, the first of that being 1985's Reanimator, you know, from an H.P. Lovecraft story. With his, his first venture into the H.P. Lovecraft world, you know, uh, after an odd new medical student arrives on campus, played by Jeffrey Combs, a dedicated local and his girlfriend become involved in a bizarre experiment centering around the reanimation of dead tissue. Jeffrey Combs was such a cool character in this. Um, he was very young, uh, full of life. He's always kind of full of life in all his roles, you know what I mean? He had Bruce Abbott was fun. He kind of, he returned for a couple of them. You have the great Barbara Crampton. It's probably the beginning, <laughs> the beginning of her horror career, I'd say. Um... Yeah, you just recently watched this again, right? You got the the famous scene with uh, Dean Halsey with his, the head in the bowl. I remember the, when I first watched this, I was blown away by the effects. I thought the effects were tremendous. Really great effects. You know, a great horror comedy, you know what I mean? And it's a horror comedy in the sense of 
when the comedy wasn't in your face comedy, it was very subtle comedy. When oh, when it wasn't trying, it didn't overpower. Yeah, like it wasn't trying to be horror comedy. It was trying to be a horror film with elements of comedy to loosen up the tension type deal. You know what I mean? Like they they were put in there as a tension reliever, not so much for people to go yeah <laughs> in the theater. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I really love Reanimator. I think Reanimator is one of the best films of its time. Um, you know, I think everybody else loves it as well. You know, a uh, great soundtrack. You know, big fan of the soundtrack. Um, what do you think on your your? Uh, I love the yellow dude, the dude, the, the 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 dead body who's all yellow. You know, then they have like the Igor type character in it. Um, what, what, you how long ago did you watch? You said you watched it recently. I watched it a couple days ago. I was up super early and it was on, so I watched it because I couldn't sleep. And I'm sitting there at certain scenes, like it's like six o'clock in the morning, and I'm laughing, hoping that you know my neighbors don't hear me. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's classic. I mean, like I said, I think it's his best. I think it's what he'll be mostly known for. Um, I've never read the book. Or the story, rather. I've always wanted to. I think I actually have the... I do have the... I have a collection of stories downstairs. I have a couple H.P. Lovecraft books, and I know that the story's in one of them. But, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan, you know. You know, David Gale played Dr. Carl Hale, who kind of becomes that... Uh, he's the dude with the head, the head. He gets his head... You know, the, the famous... That, that head scene... You know what I mean? Um, with Barbara Crampton. That, that's that's very, when I really started laughing. Yeah. Well, that's an effect that's very, super effective that um, we actually tried to reuse in that in Victoria that we screened last night of the just putting, you know, having the table with the cutout hole and you stick your head through the table and then you put it in whatever you want it to be in and then you kind of build around it and then it looks, yep. like, it looks like a severed head. And um, with Reanimator, they did that, like, perfectly. And, you know, the, the special effects artist, what he did is he put some, um, some latex hanging off of the neck. So, like, it looked, it looked more gruesome, you know. It wasn't just, you know, you know hanging, you know. We had John Carl Buechler, the, the late John Carl Buechler, um, you know, Billy Coyne's a big fan of, you know. Um, he was a rocket shock. Big reanimator fan. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it's true. But, Billy. Uh, yeah, and uh, good old Billy Boy. And um, I don't know if I can say Billy Boy is going to be listening to the episode anymore like I used to. I don't think Billy, uh, we'll have to catch up with Bill to see if he, if he still listens. But um, yeah, reanimator was a great time. Um, it spawned multiple sequels. That um, I don't recall. I think Brian Usner directed part two, and then part three was probably Brian Usner again. Um, I don't think Stuart Gordon ever returned to do part four. Um, you got Brian. Yeah, I haven't seen any of the sequels. I've only seen Reanimator. I might have seen Bride of Reanimator, but yeah. I haven't seen any other than that. Yeah, we got Bride of Reanimator as part two, and then Beyond Reanimator as part three. And I remember when I met Jeffrey Combs. Like 15 years ago, um, I remember asking him if there was going to be another reanimator film after Beyond, and he said they were working on it, 
He's like, we're trying. And, you know, 15 years later, there hasn't been one. But that's a, um, that's a franchise that they could always go back. And Jeffrey Combs, you know, is one of those horror actors that can, you know, he might have his, his roots might maybe in horror. Well, I think he's a theater dude, too, but his, he's mostly known for his horror work. But um, he's like a really phenomenal actor, like a Robert England or a Brad Dourif, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't think we'll ever see a part four. Uh, it would be cool, and I think that Jeffrey Combs could still definitely pull it off as long as he was willing to do it. And I don't see why they couldn't get you know Bruce and Barbara to come back as well. I think David Gale passed away, if I remember correctly, but I think the other people they could get. You know what I mean? No problem. Yeah, he passed away in '91, which uh, wasn't too wasn't too far off from when the movie was made. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, Reanimator, great, great series. Maybe one of these days we'll talk about the franchise as a whole. Um, but what, that day's not today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Gotta keep it keep on point today. <laughs> we're trying, we're, or try to. It's a tribute episode. We're gonna, so we're trying very hard to you know keep not rant, go on to a rant, and go into a different direction. We're under uh, under tight reins today, so to speak. You know. Yeah, another favorite from him too that I've I've actually can say I've seen is from Beyond. From Beyond, next up, nineteen eighty six. That's 1986's From Beyond, another H.P. Lovecraft story um, where Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs come back. You know what I mean? Um, this is, uh, you know, this was a more effects-heavy of a film, this one was. Um, very entertaining, you know, some very, you know, legendary, legendary imagery, you know, in, in the horror world. Um, the yeah, there's, there's there's some scenes that definitely stick out, and you will remember. For sure, a brief synopsis of it is: you know, a group of scientists have developed a, a resonator, a machine which allows whoever is within range to see beyond normal perception or perceptible reality. Uh, but when the experiment succeeds, they are immediately attacked by a terrible life forms. Yeah. So it's just more of that late speech, you know, don't go, be careful what you go searching for because you might find it type thing, which I think, yep. I think that's one of H.P. Lovecraft's biggest, best, best and most common themes is, you know, don't go searching for something because you might find it. Um, you get a little more than you expected. You get a little more than you expected for sure. You know, this has, there's a lot of pink. I remember there being a lot of pink lighting in this. Uh, as well, so I think maybe uh, Richard Stanley might have you know borrowed a little bit from from Beyond when uh, Colorado when Space. When Colorado Space, yeah, uh, you know uh, that that'd be a great like marathon would be to run a H.P. Lovecraft movie with you know from Beyond Colorado Space, Reanimator, you know. Well, there seems to be a lot of like. H.P. Lovecraft stories are very popular with being, you know, made back into movies because he was such a pheno phenomenal writer. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to take that into a different direction and, you know, 
view it from somebody else's perspective, even though they're sticking with the film. I'm surprised. With the book, rather. Yeah, I'm surprised I never tried to reboot any of these older films. Uh, he's a local guy, too. H.P. Lovecraft's local. I think he's from Rhode Island. I think he's from your neck of the woods. Yeah, he was born and raised in Providence. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was talking to Ray recently, because we're going to do an episode of, about H.P. Lovecraft on Mostly Ghostly. Mostly Ghostly. Mostly Ghostly. And we're going to eventually pop in and... Uh, uh, enter the enter the realm of go to his gravesite, I guess, which will be kind of cool, you know. I can enjoy some of that action. Um, right. When was the last time you watched From Beyond? A little bit. Um, it's been a little bit, but it's been within the last year. I actually think the last time I watched it um, was with Billy. I was over there, we were doing a project together, and, you know, we always have a movie on in the background, and that was one of the ones we were watching that night. Yeah, it doesn't get more iconic than Jeffrey Combs doing that, ooh, face with that worm coming out of his forehead. Yeah, that thing was creepy. <laughs> that's, one of the, that's one of the scenes I can, uh, be, I can remember, remember vividly. Are you sure that wasn't Bill Coyne doing that? Oh, I'm positive. I think I would have remembered that. I probably would have left. <laughs> Charlie Band was an executive producer on this project. He was unable to... He wasn't on Reanimator. Um, you know, I think... I want to say Full Moon. Yeah, no, no, not Full Moon, but I think Wizard, maybe. Somebody had their hand in this. Um, Richard Band did the music for... His brother did the music for both of it. Brian Usner produced it. Brian Usner and Stuart Gordon have a long history together. Brian Usner eventually took over the uh, Return of the Living Dead franchise, if I remember correctly, later in life. Yeah, and that, and that those movies kind of really sucked after the first one. Well, I like part two. You see, I like part two a lot. I like part, I, one, of course, I like a lot. I like part two a lot. A lot of people kind of have beef with part two. I don't know why. I think it's creepier because of the kid aspect. It has a little more comedy. Oh, yeah, that's life. true. Yeah, I just actually just watched that, too, recently. Like, last week sometime I watched that. Yeah. The, um, then there's part three, which has a, has its own audience. I mean, it's not beloved like the other, like the first one. It's probably sits in the same place as part two, because I have heard a lot of people hate on part two. Um, but part three, part three came in a weird time in horror, um, just when horror movies were being made. Um but I said, but they, that's the one with the, that's the one with the female, right? Where the, the cover is like she's covered in like razor blades or something. Yeah, yeah, she has spikes in her. The um, yeah, the plot's like, um, you know, her her boyfriend and her are like the main characters. The the boyfriend's father works for the military, and I, I want to say yep. she gets in there and gets infected, and he tries to protect her, and then like they, you know, it's one of those things. They end up in the underbelly. There's a cool scene with a a black dude who turns into a good effect scene with a black gentleman who turns into a zombie or get, gets his head, like, ripped off um, with his spine ripped out or something crazy, if I remember correctly. Um, but, yeah, so uh, part three was good. Then part, then part four and five, which is, like, rave to the grave, and then there's, uh, man, right now I can't think of what the other one's called. Um, but those three... Those uh, four and five were like diarrhea shit, and then there. I yeah, I've seen was, them all, but I just I can't get really 
get into the rest of the, the series, like, with the original. Yeah, they were made for the sci-fi channel. That's why they were unsuccessful. Yeah, definitely. But uh, after that, you know, his follow-up is the 19... Another Bill Coyne classic, the 1987 film Dolls. Dolls. Classic, you know. A group of people uh, stopped by a mansion during a storm to discover two magical toy makers in their haunted collection of dolls. Written by Ed Naha, who he he co-wrote, co-created the... uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids with. Um, Yeah, this is a fun story. This is creepy, you know, anybody that gets really creeped out by dolls, um, this is the film. Yeah, it's not the movie to watch if you don't like them. Unless you like to be scared, then I'd say by all means, you know. Um, I kind of, I enjoy this movie more than I like Puppet Master, which you can kind of put in the same kind of type of filming, type of story rather, but um, just with the dolls and stuff. Uh, another notably, you got, of course, Child's Plays, a fun a fun doll movie. There's a movie called Mommy Dearest. That is a, a pretty cool doll movie that I appreciate. Um, you get the famous Twilight Zone doll thing with the, the, the I, that doll that says, I don't think I like you. I'm going to yeah. kill you. Yeah. But, yeah, dolls, classic. Anybody out there that... Anybody out there that's kind of, for whatever reason, finding out about Stuart Gordon with this episode or not so familiar with some of these movies, I'd definitely say if you haven't seen Reanimator from Beyond or the Doll or Dolls, you're missing out heavily, and you should uh, definitely go pick it up. I think they've all been, well, I know for a fact, they've all been re-released at least once, if not twice or three times in the last five years on Blu-ray. So and another one that I enjoyed from him too, but I, it's like kind of skipping over some. If we were going in order too, is uh, Castle Freak. I really enjoyed too. Yeah, Castle not Freak. even realizing it that that was from him too. Yeah, let's. We're gonna stay in order a little bit, not to be a bad guy. We're gonna do. <laughs> we're gonna do 1989's Robot Jocks, which was kind of ahead of its time, pre um, Pacific Rim and. Probably around the uh, around the time of Transformers, but definitely before the Transformers movie, um, where you got these 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 people that you know they, it's pretty much Pacific Rim. Uh, if you've seen Pacific Rim, but it's like a more low budget. Um, I think that might even be a full moon direct. I know Charlie Band definitely had his hand in it, um, but Robot Jocks is a fun movie. You know, it's a lot of stop motion. Uh, you know, the, the, like King Kong was, where which that's a great, you know, special effect that they don't really use that often nowadays where they should with that stop motion animation where it's, they move, yeah. it, move it a little bit at a time, um, which is always good, you know what I mean? Uh, and that's one I haven't seen, so I'll probably have to, I'll have to check that out just because of the fact that I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, Bill Coyne has it. And it'll give you a feel of like a, an earlier... Almost like if there was no robot jocks, maybe we not, might not have seen. Well, actually, I think um, RoboCop was roughly around this time. I don't know which one came first exactly, but um, for the for, but they're both kind of the same stop motiony type. Uh, it's not too much the stop motion that, that I'm speaking of in RoboCop is with like the bad like that 
I forget the name of that robot, but like the robot that kills everybody in the boardroom. Yep. Which I've always found scary, you know, like the fact that they could make RoboCop's always been really good with it with a lot of things, but mainly I'd like to say that it's always been really good with the villains. The robotic villains in it have always been actually scary. Like they made robots like scary, you know what I mean? Yeah, just to think that they could like go haywire and just, you know, start going on killing sprees. And they always had weird looks to them that were actually like pretty scary in the, in, them, in itself, you know what I mean? Um, next up after that, we'll jump into 1991's The Pit and the Pendulum, which is a fun movie. Uh, the, the film set in 1942, Toledo, Spain, depicting the cruel, depi- uh, cruel deeds of a monk named Torquemada, Grand Inquisitor of the Spanish Inquisition. So, yeah, this was a starring Lance Hendrickson, you know what I mean, with his head shaved off. You can't, you can't beat that. That's always fun. But this is... Right. Yeah, this one also fought... This, I think, fell under full, the full moon banner, I think. I could be wrong. Um, I know Charlie Band definitely had his hand up the ass of it deep in there. Um, Jeffrey Combs comes back in there. We have, like, Tom Towles, you know, from, you know, uh, Henry Portia Vasero. Rest in peace, Tom Towles. Um, Henry Portia Vasero killer, House Across the... Not House Across the Street. I'm losing my mind. The House (laughs) from a Thousand Corpses. He was Willem... uh, What's his name? Oh, man. I'm losing my mind. I just... For some reason, my brain shut down completely. But he, he plays one of the cops. He's the cop that gets shot by Mother Firefly in the head. And, and I think it's the yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. His name is, like, right on the tip of my tongue. His name, yeah, his name's Tom Tolles, for sure. I actually met him and got his autograph. I have his autograph downstairs. Um, trying to think of uh, his, the dude who plays his brother. Who's the In, in Devil's Rejects, who's the main villain? B- William... Oh, William Forsythe's character? Forsyth, Forsyth, my dude. I got his autograph down there. He's an awesome guy in real life, too. So is Tom. Yeah, he is. I smoked with him. <laughs> Hell yeah. Word, word to the mother. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's a great one. Uh, you know, Pit in the Pendulum's not his best film, but it's definitely worth the watch. You should definitely see it at least once if you're a horror fan. Um, but there, and there's some good moments in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've, I have seen it. I haven't seen it since it came out. Um, the Pit and the Pendulum is a book that I do enjoy. Yeah. So, you know, it's probably, it would be worth revisiting and watching again now because it has been so long since I've seen it. That's Edgar Allan Poe, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, next up was his uh, 1992 film Fortress, which is it was more of like a crime uh, crime action movie with some sci-fi in it, you know what I mean? It was a nice little twist for him. Uh, the plot is, uh, in a future private underground prison fortress, the inmates are computer-controlled with CCTV. Dream readers and devices that can cause pain or death. John and his illegally pregnant wife are inside but want to escape before birth. That would make sense, right? Starring... Yep. Starring Christopher Lambert of Highlander fame and of the film, um, that Resurrection movie we talked about on the Easter episode. Lauren Lachlan is in there and Kurtwood Smith as well. 
you know, this is a fun movie. I'm not going to lie, I was never really a big Christopher Lambert fan. Uh, I was always a little turned off by him as a kid, watching his movies, no offense to Christopher Lambert. Um, there's a really cool movie called Adrenaline, The Rush, that he's in that I always recommend. It's kind of a not-so-known-about film. Um, a young Clifton Collins Jr. is even in this movie. We got Jeffrey Combs returning. Tom Tolles is back. Yeah, you know. Um, I own this movie downstairs. I haven't watched this in many moons, uh, if not ever, to tell you the truth. Um, but I remember pieces of it, but that just could be from seeing a trailer. But, uh, yeah, it's good to see him do, he was jumping it up and doing the action crime. Did you ever see Fortress? I don't think I have. I could be wrong, but, um, more than likely I haven't seen it. Yeah, I know I own it. I know that I definitely picked it up. I just... I can't remember much about it. Certain elements I can, I can remember and certain elements I can't type deal. Next up is a movie that you brought up, 1995's Castle Freak, which is a classic. Classic. The, the you know, got a good story to it, you know. Kind of a basic bare-bones story, but that's all you really need. Um, the Castle Freak Monster, I think, is one of the best monsters that Full Moon's ever released. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, you kind of, kind of, you kind of feel bad for the, you the do, poor bastard in it. You do to a degree, but he's so wild and so scary that you—it's very hard. Like, yeah, he's supposed to be sympathetic, but it's still—I believe he even rapes a girl at one point in it. Yep. Um, if I remember correctly, he stops, like, Jeffrey Combs from raping a girl, and then he rapes the girl or something crazy. I don't know. Um, but, um, yeah, Jeffrey Combs is in that thing again. And Castle Freak's very underrated. Um, I forgot that he even directed that for a second. Um, but, yeah, Castle Freak's classic. I want to say they reboot. They did a remake of that recently, or they're working on one. Um, it's one of those... I want to say they're working on one. It's one of those films that, um, another film that if you haven't, if you've never checked out, you should definitely, uh, check into because I think you'd really dig, as any horror fans out there, I think you'd really dig, uh, Castle Freak, you know what I mean? It's one of those, it's one of those, um, super creepy, um, I think that's even an H.P. Lovecraft story or something like that, I think that's a, um, let me, let me, I think that's one of those um yeah that's an hp lovecraft from the out story the outsider uh, a man struggles to save his family from the strange and deadly occurrences in the castle there and in, they've inherited it kind of has almost like a shining a shining vibe with it but if it wasn't ghosts it was this big castle freak that's been locked up in the walls and then comes out to get you you know what i mean yep, it's kind of it, it's kind of like a people under the stairs monster just living in the house yeah, it's that vibe. Yeah, Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs both return he wrote and directed it you know from the story of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft you know very like I said and the thing the thing's got like the, the, the ghoul the monster in it is very effective you know he's got like a fucked up face I want to say he's got a cloth that hangs down over like and his jaws like unhinged if I remember correctly but just very very creepy um, it's definitely a scary monster in a time when you know 
schools were starting to become mass and like cheap, you know, cheap, not so good looking makeup. Um, I remember the Castle Freak makeup job looking like really good. Like I remember, very effective. I haven't watched it in a while, but very uh, like the end of an era for the way the design of the creature was. I think it's the last time Full Moon had money, probably. Um, they had a weird, their whole thing, their whole, Full Moon has a weird up and down. We'll get into that with our, the, the, we're going to do a nice trauma versus Full Moon episode in the future, and we'll get into that. But yeah, they, they either don't know how to handle money, or the people that gives them money, uh, are people you don't want to deal with. Which, a little bit of both from what I hear. But yeah, Castle Freak's classic, and I'll, I'll, I'll actually check out that. If they can do, if they, if whoever's rebooting Castle Freak has their head together, like whoever rebooted that last Puppet Master film, then they'll probably the Castle Freak will actually be pretty solid because the the story and stuff and what it can be is really cool. Like if if you do it right, you could have a really cool film on your hands type deal. You know what I mean? Uh, his follow up to that was a film called Space Truckers. From 1999, with my boy Dennis Hopper in it. You know what I mean? You can't beat that. I think he's in there, right? Yeah, Dennis Hopper's in there. You know, Stephen Dorff. You know, from the Gate. A lot of, yep, a lot of popular big names. You know, or um, went on to become big names. You know, plot is a space trucker and his cute fiance are on their way from a space station to Earth with an unknown cargo. When space pirates hijack them, 5,000 disintegrator robots are found in the cargo. And that's, when you find 5,000 disintegrator robots in your cargo, you know you're going to have a bad day at that point. Um, I'm not going to lie, I've never seen this film. Me neither. So I can't really comment on it, but if it has Dennis Hopper in it and directed by Stuart Gordon with a, a younger... Uh, before uh, Stephen Dorff, before he started smoking them blues, then um, you can't you can't really go wrong with that. That's my opinion. You know what I mean? Can't go wrong. But no, because that was kind of that was kind of like the height of both of their careers in movies. You know, because they were very big names back in that period of time. So I think you need to get yourself robot jocks and space truckers. And like a couple marijuana cigarettes and have yourself a fun evening, Melissa. Oh, God, don't threaten me with a good time. Space Trucker seems like one of those movies that I would buy just to smoke weed and watch. There's a lot of movies that fall into that category, though. Half, half the movies. <laughs> I don't created, really need an excuse. <laughs> half the movies created were created for that reason. Um. You know, they can't, they can't all be home runs. Nothing against Stuart Gordon, you know what I mean? Even Everybody's got their hits and misses, though, so, you know, it doesn't matter you look at the who most, you are. Yeah, you look at the most praised-up filmmaker like Steven Spielberg, well, before he was accused of pedophilia, and um, even he's got some films on his resume that he wishes wasn't there, you know what I mean? And uh, Or his fans wish he wasn't there. Who knows what the filmmakers wish? With a situation like that, a filmmaker could be very proud of a movie that came out shitty, you know, or didn't get, get the audience that it was, they were intended for it. Um, next up is uh, a movie called The Wonderful 
Ice Cream Suit. Now, from 1998, it's a family comedy. Uh, Joe Montagna returns to work with him, based off of a story by Ray Bradbury in a play. That makes sense why he did it. Um, Edward James Almost is in it, which is fun. This is a film that I've never, uh, never seen. I'm not gonna lie. Um, also has you know Clifton Collins Jr. in it during his come up. Um, the plot of it is uh, Gomez is a young man who dreams of buying a gorgeous white suit in a nearby store, uh, but doesn't have enough cash. He finds he f- four more people of the same size who each give twenty dollars and to get to wear the suit for an hour each in return. But the suit is not just a suit. It makes wishes of the of the one wearing it come true. I feel like I've seen this movie somewhere else with um, Paul Rodriguez uh, in it instead of these people. The cast that it has. Yeah. It kind of sounds like something I've seen before. I've never seen this actual version, but it does sound like something I've seen before. Well, it's a play, so I think that, like, yeah, a lot of people adapt plays all the time, even when they don't even give credit to the plays. They just take the story. So I think it's the case with a situation like this. But um, that's something I think if you, uh, you need a couple more marijuana cigarettes, then you could probably watch this movie, too. We're gonna we're gonna start giving in in a voting voting regards. We're gonna start voting how many marijuana cigarettes it takes to watch movies. Oh God, that would be an awesome rating system. <laughs> All right, next up. Well, yeah, you know, there was a TV show. He directed an episode of the TV show from 1998, which I enjoy. I got down with the TV show for a little bit. I believe it had the fa- the father was. Um, not Tom Hanks, but the other guy from Bosom Buddies. Oh, I can't remember his name. I know exactly who you're talking about, though. Yeah. He, he's that guy that hates Tom Hanks. He's probably got some good things to say about Hanks, another gentleman who was recently uh, accused of pedophilia. All right, but his next... I'm, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting to see who hasn't been accused of it in Hollywood yet, to be honest. Alexander Hawk. And next up is Dagon, <laughs> 2001. Uh, a boating accident runs a young man and a woman ashore in a decrepit Spanish fishing town, which they discover is in the grips of an ancient sea god and its monstrous half-human offspring. I have seen this one, and I remember it being a fun movie. Uh, not the greatest of movies, but it was fun. Um... And I give it a little more credit than the description of the film. By the description, you'd kind of take it in a... You wouldn't quite... uh, Kind of sounds lousy. But um, at least to me, at least. But uh, the film was actually pretty decent, you know. Based off of another H.P. Lovecraft short story, Dagon or The Shadow Over Innsmouth. Um, But yeah, you know. Exactly how the description of... You know, it's just a, you know... But a guy and his and his woman are on a shore in this abandoned town, and there's um, these creatures that come out and get try and get them. And they might not be the best looking creatures, if I if memory serves me correctly. But the story was somewhat fun. Unfortunately, this is another one I haven't seen yet that is on my 
list of movies that I need to watch. Yeah, uh, maybe we'll watch it together because I remember I was talking to somebody recently and they were telling me that I should actually go back and take another look at this movie. It's like, like it was one of those movies that got better with age type deal. Unlike Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Yeah, it's not. that's never going to get good no matter how many times or years pass between reviews. Just, it's just too bad. It's too bad to be good. Um, also, uh, next up, 2003, King of the Ants. Now, I'm going to say two things real quick. One, never seen the movie. Two, should see the movie because I actually like um, where this sounds like it's going. Um a young drifter discovers his true calling when he's hired by a mobster to stalk and kill a prominent accountant and then decides to seek revenge when the stingy thugs try to kill him rather than pay him. So that actually, I like the plot of that, which was funny, because when I seen the title, I thought it was actually going to be real ants. And I like those weird, cre- like I like the movie Ants from the 70s. Um, that I watched on like ABC uh, like home movie, um, like midday matinee type stuff. And there was this movie, it's called Ants. And it's about like this. This gigantic ant no, that like invade the town or whatever. No, that's, um, that's an old, old, older one. This one's like a, this, a, it's a, uh, like a, a resort that they're building in. While digging in the holes, they uncover this nest of ants, and they're regular-sized ants, but, like, they, they attack in swarms, so, like, they kill. They'll kill you. I got, uh, in the last, like, five years, like, five years ago, I went and I picked up, uh, I found this in a movie called Tarantula that I remember watching as a kid on TV and loved, and um, this one I remember a kid the big thing that's been burnt into my brain from childhood from that Ants, that Ants movie is there's a kid in a dumpster looking for bottles to go cash in uh, for some change, for cocaine money probably. And um, he gets, there's ants in the dumpster so he gets covered in ants and there's a shot of him running, running down this big, you know, running down towards this pool and he jumps in the pool and he's dead when he hits the pool. But um, just the shot of this kid with ants all over his body, like an ice cream cone with jimmies on it, was uh, oh god, horrified me as a kid. Yeah, so like, I, and was... the funny part is, like, is, is I I do I love horror movies. I can watch people get maimed, slaughtered, and have no problem with it. Put a horror movie on that has anything to do with any kind of bug, and I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I it's a wrap. <laughs> bugs are bugs are very weird like that. Um, this film has Chris McKenna in there. It has George Went, you know what I mean, from Cheers. You can't go Cheers. Norm, Norm from Cheers. It's also got uh, the great and powerful, what is it, Daniel, um, which, Daniel Baldwin. Yeah, Daniel Baldwin in there from Vampire's fame, if we're going to keep in the horror realm. Um, but, yeah, this and it sounds pretty fun. Like, this movie seems... Like, it'd be something I'd dig. Crime, drama, thriller, I like that type of deal. The plot seemed pretty cool. I should actually look into picking this up, because, uh, and the pictures to it look really good. I may have seen this before, because I've just seen a still picture. I just don't remember. 
Yeah, because I've just seen a still picture of George Wentz from Cheers strangling somebody. And um, I, for some reason, I remember that from the past. So I could have seen it, but I should definitely, this is definitely something that if I, um, if I came Yeah, maybe one of those, like, back when Channel 56 used to do the creature double features. Uh, yeah, well, the, yeah. Yeah, this was 2003. The, um, I might look into this. I might look into picking that up. Somebody actually seen, when he passed, somebody was talking about how that was actually a good watch as well. That they, anybody who hasn't seen it or haven't seen it in a while should definitely go back and watch it again type situation. You know what I mean? Um, after that, there was 2005's Edmund, which uh, I actually own Edmund. Um, I was, I was, that was William H. Macy? That's with William H. Macy. Uh, shot, I think, in mini-DV quality. Uh, it has a weird look to it. Um, you know, a fortune teller... Teasing, uh, rumination sends Ed, Edmund Burke lurching into New York's hellish underworld. So yeah, it's like this little nerdy, a lot like everything that William H. Macy's ever done. It's just like nerdy guy sent into something that's way over his head. And um, he gets in over his head, of course. And, 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 and uh, you know, he ends up, let's just say he ends up, he ends up killing, uh, killing somebody, killing a. I believe he ends up killing Claire Gaines, who is, um, who's in, in the film as well, if I remember correctly. I believe she's, you know, Jeffrey Combs is in it. He plays a plays a fun character. He's a, like a desk clerk at a hotel. Joe Mantagna returns. Denise Richards is in it. Um, uh, like when Benning. producers and directors, you know, like to work with the same actors. We try to. We try to, at least, when they cooperate. Um, you know, the, it was based off of a play by David Mamet. Um, it was dark. It was The movie was pretty dark. It was one of those dark reality movies. I liked it. Um, the ending is, like, nuts. It's one of those crazy endings that kind of blow your mind a little bit. Um I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I should spoil it or not. Um, no, don't spoil it because it's another one I haven't seen yet. So, right. yeah. You know, when you get to the ending, you'll go interesting. You'll go. I did not see this coming at all. Um, very weird ending, but very fun. The, the movie's fun. I remember when that came out. I I was in such a. I was so excited. A new Stuart Gordon movie was coming out that I. I remember I rushed out and I grabbed it. Um, I don't know why I didn't do the same for, you know, King of Ants and stuff, because King of Ants seems like it would have been right up my alley. I must That one must have flew right over my head. Um, next up from that is a film called, well, not a film, a TV show, The Masters of Horror. Uh, did you get into that when that was on the air? I think it was Showtime. Vaguely. Um, I didn't see every episode. I saw maybe a good portion of them, but there's a lot that I still haven't seen of them. It was a decent show because, like, at the time, there wasn't a lot of, you know, horror-based shows on, so... I was, very, I was like, super pumped up, and I liked Masters of Horror a lot. It was kind of like a Tales from the... Return of a Tales from the Crypt <gasps> without being Tales from the Crypt. Uh, he did a, his, ver his first segment, Dreams in a Witch House, 
Um, you know, that was a really cool one. I liked that. It was super creepy. I want to say it was the first episode in this first season. I could be dead wrong on that, but I feel like that was, uh, I think that was right in there. It was very close. Maybe episode two, if not episode one, um, by the Mick Garris created series, another HP Lovecraft story. Um, Ezra Godin was in it, Campbell Lane, Jay Brazo, um, you know, a, a gentleman kind of moves into a, uh, rents a room in an old boarding house, which is the resident of a 17th century witch, and uh, he figures out the evil forces still roam within the walls. I remember there being like a weird rat creature in it that's in the walls that like talks to him. Um, just very yeah. creepy elements. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember being a big fan. And not only do I own the box set, I think I actually own the the movies came out. Like they all, each got their own DVD release as well as a box set. I think the box set came later because they were probably looking for that loot. But I, uh, Dreams from the Witch House is one of the ones that I believe I actually own. The actual solo like release, single of. copy. Yeah, I know I have Don Coscarelli's version. Uh, his uh, it's like it's called like something like well, something that happened off the side of a road or something like that. I have that one. I have John Carpenter's Cigarette Burns. Um, I have Joe Dante's Homecoming. Um, I have Argento. I have one of Dario Argento's. I have the imprint one, which was done by I think Takashi Mike. I thought it was like they banned that from like Showtime or whatever. Pelts. I have one Pelts with Meatloaf. Um, I want to have, I think I have one called Family, directed by, um, John Landis with George Went in it, I think, but I could be wrong. Um, but, yeah, we, this is, we'll go back into where we're going. Uh, but yeah, Stuart Gordon, uh, he, he did two episodes of that, he also did The Black Cat, which is, um, obviously another... Well, an Edgar Allan Poe story. Um, he likes to da dabble in the, the classic horror writers, uh, which is nice. Which is nice, you know. Uh, yeah, especially if they when they do it justice. Set in eighteen forties Philadelphia, the great red writer Edgar Allan Poe struggling with alcoholism, writer's block, as well as being out of ideas, short on cast, and tormented by his own black cat. And by his wife Virginia's black cat, uh, that will either destroy his life or inspire him to write his most famous story, one of his most famous stories. Now, the black cat was also re was also done by I think Dario Argento did the black cat, starring um, Harvey Keitel in the Two Evil Eyes. And it's like not really an, it's a double more of a double feature. Two Evil Eyes is a project with George Romero and Dario Argento teamed up and they did they each did like 45 minute movies and they put them on the same put it into the same movie. And um I forget what the name of Romero's was, but it was like you know there there there's we're going I'm going off on a rant again here, but and so the, uh, the the other one was the Black Cat by Dario Argento, and uh, I liked his a lot more than I liked um, this one. Unfortunately, no offense to anybody, but you know Jeffrey Combs played Edgar Allan Poe. Um, 
And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, Harvey, Harvey Keitel played, played a Poe-like character in the other one. But um, this one was still fun. Like, those period piece, it was fun for a period piece movie. I don't really get into period piece movies that much. I don't know. I just, I don't know. There's something about my... Thing. Yeah, like, I, I like to be, I don't... I don't know. I can't. I don't really get sucked into them. I don't. I don't mind a. I don't mind a period piece movie when they stick to the cost. The you know the costumes and the you know the props and everything are all from the actual period. Because occasionally, like with a period piece, you know it could be set in the eighteen hundreds, and then they'll have a prop or something that wasn't even around during that time. So that kind of kills the vibe for me. Like a Starbucks coffee in Game of Thrones? Yes, exactly like that. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. Um, but yeah, I mean, Masters of R is one of those fun things that I, it's good to have. I got season one. I think I have season two as well. But they're one of those rainy day things that are cool just to throw on. And it's kind of like seeing some of the, your favorite horror directors doing not so much a short film, but like a small feature I think they each had an hour to um, to do, like, a story. And uh, the majority of them are pretty good, you know. There's some newer filmmakers on there, and there's a lot of old classic, iconic filmmakers as well. But, yeah, Stuart Gordon did those uh, did those two, the Dreams in a Witch House and the Black Cat. So definitely uh, check those out if you get a chance. Um, his next up was 2007 Stuck which is a biography crime drama um, with uh, Mina Suaveri from, like, I think she's in Orange is the New Black, I think. Um, Stephen Ray and Russell Hornsbury. Uh, I have not seen this. Uh, It's a young woman commits a hit and run and then finds her fate, uh, finds her fate tied to her victim. Sounds like a fun story. Um, Stuart Gordon came up with the story John Streisack wrote it but it's based off of a real person it sounds like so I guess he had the idea to do a biography on her Uh, but yeah this looks like something I'd be down to watch I just never I never got into it you know what I mean Um, yeah because I know I've never seen it either so I would there I should probably do a little a little marathon of unwatched Stuart Gordon films. Recorded movies, yeah. And then we'll do a bit We've seen of all that. We've seen pretty much the, the, the popular ones. I've seen, yeah, I've seen, I want to say I've seen like three quarters of his career probably. You know what I mean? For the most part. Maybe a little under three quarters. But no, I've, I've seen a good amount. He directed altogether. He's directed twenty-one films altogether, and um, out of those twenty-one, I've seen. Uh, I've seen nine, nine in two episodes of shows. Uh, I think I, I watched, and I did see F- Eater. He did an episode of Fear itself. I don't know if you remember that. I believe that was a Mick Garris. He uh, he took he kind of took 
um, the Masters of Horror format, but he brought it to like mainstream. It wasn't on Showtime anymore. It was on like ABC or NBC, if I remember correctly. And he did it there. And um, Stuart Gordon did an episode called Eater um, in 2008. And I remember seeing that one. You know, it was a nothing is as it seems when a rookie cop is assigned to watch over a serial killer known as the Eater. Yeah, I remember that. That was fun. That was a fun one. But, um, creepy. That was a fun, creepy one. Sounds like it. It's, uh, he's a, he's a cannibal. He's cannibal. But, yeah, that was a fun series. Fair itself was actually a pretty fun series, even though it was really edited down. And he also did a, well, you know, he did an sh- interview, directed an interview with Brian Musna, which is kind of weird. And um, he's in a, another. He directed Bunker of Blood, Chapter Five, Psycho Sideshow. <laughs> Demon Freaks. I don't know what that is, but I feel like he probably doesn't want it on his resume. But, yeah. Yeah, right? It sounds kind of out there. Sounds like something horrible. And a part five, like it sounds like something that he... Somebody put him on there and he didn't even do. Like one of those things, you know? Yep. But for the most part, you know... He attached his name to it to get, to get the views. A lot of people do that weird shit. You'll see. I can see if you want to special thank somebody or something like that. That's one thing. But, like, calling them a director on a project is kind of tomfoolery. But, yeah. Those are uh, those are the films of Stuart Gordon, the man himself. Uh, icon in his own Rest life. in peace. Rest in peace. March 24th, 2020. Age 72, Los Angeles, California. He, uh, he he was nominated for 11 awards, and he won 11 awards, you know what I mean? But at least he got to go out knowing that his films were appreciated. A lot of filmmakers kind of go out not knowing that their films were ever appreciated. And uh, at least he got to kind of soak up the goodness of it. You know, he's been getting good praise since Reanimator in 85, so... He had a good run, and, uh, you know, he got to do what he loved. He got to do film. He got to jump back and forth and do some theater. You know, he did a lot of theater. I think he was doing more theaters in the end of his life than film. Than actual movie productions. Movie productions, but I think that uh, I almost don't blame him for that case because with a, a, a theater thing, you it's right there, you know. You, 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 you study, and you train, and you practice, and you rehearse. And then you you have that one night or that that week or whatever, however that it plays, and you just go out and do it live every night, and it's kind of fun because it's live and it's exciting from that, and you don't got to worry about all the hoopla. Some of the you know some of the some of the the problems and the the frustrations that come with film is because of the how much how much you have to depend on other people. Um, over a long period of time, you know what I mean? Like getting and a, and a live audience reaction is going to be different than the reaction of you know a movie sure. that it, you know being released as opposed to it being live on stage. 
True, it's more limited too. I don't know if that would, I don't know if that would have that, what that would mean to him. It's more limited in a way where only certain you're only making it for that you know 500 people or whatever in the audience to to take away with them. You know whether that's something you like or don't like. I've uh, I was offered to direct something before a, a play before, and um, I almost wish I stuck with with. Uh, the possibility of it, because it'd be almost fun to do. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, because it's, it's a different atmosphere. It's a different vibe than. Yeah, and I feel being like, on a set. It's a, it. It has a whole different feel to it. I'm sure. I'm sure I'd learn some elements about dealing with people and, and audiences that I haven't learned with a film. You know, I mean, it's. With with play and theater, everything's live, and you can kind you can. Sometimes you might have to go off script if something happens. You have to go off script, and you can still kind of control the ball while an issue happened or going off a script. I mean, that's got to be super exciting. It's exciting enough, you know, watching a movie with somebody, and when you know when you know what's coming, and you can kind of watch the audience and see how they take things. But when you have a play or a theater thing that might not be so in stone and has the ability to kind of um, evolve in front of you, you know, that's, I'm sure that has a whole different type of excitement added to it. You know what I mean? But it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But with that being said, we both give a big old rest in peace to Stuart Gordon, icon. And, um, yeah, I think that right there will wrap up our episode of our little tribute to Stuart Gordon. We didn't want to be big fibbers and say that we've seen all the films because we haven't. But, um, we're being honest with the audience and Stuart, who's listening, because I know he, he was a big fan before he passed, so he's even a bigger fan now that he has more time on his hands. And he's always, <laughs> right. he's always listening to shock treatment. Um, but we got nothing but love for him. Rest in peace. And, uh, it, you know, everybody go out there and the films that you heard us talking about that you haven't seen before, check them out. Go check them out because they're, they're worthwhile. Even some of the films, I know I'm going to do it myself. I practice what I Yeah, me too. We're going to go check out some films and maybe we'll come back and maybe we'll do a follow-up tribute episode where we talk about the new episodes in the future. Who knows? Yep, the films we didn't see that we have now seen or mm-hmm. will see. And God knows, like every other episode so far, you know, we've got plenty of time right now to check out new things and give recommendations for people to check out new things because God knows whether the movie's old or new. Right now, you have the time to check it out. Amen. Do you think we should start doing kickback tribute shows to filmmakers from way back when? I don't see why not. Passed. We're dipping into Boombasticast territory. Alex Hocko get upset. Well, on Boombasticast, we do our top 10 AD where we talk about the best projects of uh, people after the top 10. Well, I guess it, it's different. It could be another roundtable episode. It could be a, tri- well, it's a tribute, too, because uh, Hawk isn't going to get into... No, res- no disrespect to Stuart Gordon, but the Hawkman isn't going to, you know... He doesn't know anything about Stuart Gordon, I don't think. 
he'd be I'd be would be lucky if he if he's heard of Reanimator. He knows Jeffrey Combs though. He's a big Jeffrey Combs fan, so he might. But uh, yeah, definitely. I know our next uh, the next tribute episode we're going to be planning is we're going to do the Joel Reed tribute because we just lost him not too long ago, maybe a week or week or a week or two back, week and a half back. Um, you know, notorious director of the film Blood Sucking Freaks, which is. Uh, if anybody's never seen that, that's quite a movie. That's quite a film to uh, dip into, and if you've got a nice empty night uh, for some madness, you know he, he he Joel didn't have an extensive, gigantic catalog of films, but he had. If I remember correctly, I think he did three, maybe four films um, that we can talk about. We can also talk a little bit about the impact that it's had. Um, and, uh, you know, I know he, he's worked with a good friend, the great James Balsamo. He's worked with them a few times. You know, we got, um, I'm friendly with the guy that did the documentary on, uh, of, on Joel Reed. So maybe we'll bring him in because otherwise it might be a short episode to roll through those three or four movies quickly. So maybe we'll bring in a guest to kind of do to talk a little bit about Joel, so people that knew him, people that knew him a little more, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely, because I, I don't, being at work right now, I can't really look up, look him up right now to see how familiar I, you know, because there's a lot of movies out there that, you know, the, the writers or the directors, I've actually seen the movies, I just wasn't familiar with who they were from. Yeah, he's more of an underground filmmaker. Like, if uh, his most famous would be Bloodsucking Freaks, uh, which Troma put out. Uh, but it's very pop culture Like, in the, horror, in the horror world, it's very big. It's one of those, like, uh, one of those, uh, what do you call that? Uh, cult classics, you know what I mean? He also did a movie called G.I. Executioner. That Troma put out, and he had a movie called Bloodbath that he did. That I don't think I don't think Troma put the Bloodbath movie out, but I think Bloodbath's even an I think it's an anthology film, but I believe he directed every segment. There was one point in my 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 career where I wanted to hit him up and try and get a Bloodbath two off the ground, where he directed a segment. Of course, I I direct a segment, and then like two other people direct segments or. Hey, I, I would have done two, and he would have done two. I remember there was one point he was going to try and do a Bloodsucker and Freaks 2, which I contacted him about working on. But um, unfortunately, he passed. He passed in a weird way where the COVID got him. But um, I remember leading up to his death, he was he was a little vocal about... He, he was going back and forth to different nursing homes, and they were kind of treating him like shit, so... Maybe we'll hear a little bit more about that. Kind of ties in with the times, you know, but... Right. We'll save all that for the Joel Reed episode, and uh, we'll give Stuart Gordon one more rest in peace, and uh, we'll catch everybody else on the next episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie. Peace out, everybody. Until next time. Until next time.